All right, welcome everyone to a new episode of the Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro Podcast. I am your host, Toby Passman. Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro offers premium brain health coaching to clients interested in peak cognitive performance globally, and we'll be offering premium uh, uh, applied neuroscience uh, and neuromodulation services to clients in the South Florida uh, Miami, Fort Lauderdale area starting in November of 2021. Go ahead and check out roscoeswetsuitneuro.com for the latest, sign up for our newsletter and book a coaching session today. On the show with us today, we have a very special guest, Christian Straka. Christian has developed a unique approach to mindset training through methodologies for applying evidence-based mindfulness techniques in sports. Christian has been practicing mindfulness for many years, is a unified mindfulness coach, a member of the Mindfulness Facilitation Program at UCLA's Mindfulness Awareness Research Center at the CML Institute for Neuroscience and Human Behavior, and is a member of the International Mindfulness Teachers Association. Uh, Christian, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. So what, uh, what originally got you i guess let's just talk about your kind of getting into uh, coaching were you always an athlete what what kind of got you uh first into coaching yeah i uh, started off as an athlete myself i come from tennis originally so i started playing tennis when i was very little four years old and um you know then started playing tournaments i played on the tour um, but I got injured uh, very early on. So by the time I was 21, maybe uh, I had surgery. I needed to stop uh, playing professionally. And then my coach back uh, then basically suggested that I should try uh, a coaching kind of career. He thought I might have kind of like a way with people and might enjoy it. So I was like, it was nothing that I ever thought about that I would do actually not because I didn't want to do it or I thought it's not good or right or not fun but it's just never crossed my mind to be a coach in in my entire life to that point and then I was like oh yeah why not um so I started to you know start to coach you do like the certifications it's like you study you do like this two-year program but really I learned to coach from him so he was teaching me to play but then he was teaching me to teach and he's he was one of the best tennis coaches um, basically in the world and um, then taught me to teach for six years every day four or five hours when I was teaching he was with me so it was a very very fortunate situation for me to kind of have that exposure and that much experience were right next to me the whole time and guiding me you know, how I can work with athletes, how I can help them better, what to look out for. And so, so I didn't need to figure out that many things for myself over, you know, decades. Um, but then uh, I realized that um, tennis coaching, as much as I enjoy it, uh, everything is kind of, from my perspective, really is the mind is at the foundation of all of these things. So um, everything is starting to be optimized. The physiology of the athletes, 
the nutrition of the athletes, the training programs, the strategy, but in regards to how much they're dedicating to training their mind, um, given it is much improving now, but like back in the day, it was like almost untapped. It was like beyond me really. And not just for the athletes, I'm mean, including myself. I was noticing those same kind of um, lack of skills within me too remembering when I was an athlete myself, but now even though uh, even though as a coach, when I was seeing the athletes, what they were kind of struggling with, um, having difficulty dealing with challenges, with unpleasant feelings, um, unpleasant thoughts, negative thoughts, challenging external situations, physical fatigue, and so forth. I was not any different, even though I was coaching now, um, but I remembered very well how that was really the number one thing that was holding me back. Um, and once I discovered that that is actually something you can train, just like your physical skills, just like strategy um, or flexibility, you can train your mind to develop certain skills so you are able to pay better attention in moments that are relevant to your performance. And you are able to develop the ability to deal with difficulties in a different way. Um, that really kind of was a game changer for me. And then I dedicated all of my time personally to develop those skills. Um, and once I noticed that after years that of training that these skills have now improved to a degree where it was really a noticeable difference for me, just the, the way I am, how I function um, with uh, skills that I have developed through training over those years, now compared to before I've been training, I was like, wow, that is kind of, what I want to give to the world. And then I started really emphasizing coaching those mental skills rather than just physical and strategical aspects of the sport. So talk to me about uh, mindfulness and, and kind of what, what it actually is doing kind of as, you know, as a coach and then how it's helping the athletes perform better. So, um, you know, mindfulness is a big word. Uh, a lot of people are using it it's in the media right now. But um, from my perspective, there's a lot of people that use the term mindfulness and they mean a hundred different things. And then there is people that might not even mention the word mindfulness, but like they're all talking about the same thing. So to define what I'm talking about, whether I say mindset or mindfulness or uh, my company, mind size, which kind of is just a, you know, play of words, um, is a certain set of skills that everybody has and everybody can train. So those skills I call concentration, clarity, and coolness. So I refer to them as the three Cs. And concentration I define as your ability to pay attention to whatever you want for any length of time. So whether you're able to pay attention to watching my hand now for 10 seconds until you get distracted or you move your attention somewhere, or whether you can listen to my voice for 20 minutes without a single interruption, or whether you can move your attention around for a second listening to my voice, then for a second you pay attention to your breath, then for a second you pay attention to the response in your mind to what I've been saying, and you move your attention around. That all falls under the category of concentration as we define it. So your ability to direct and keep your attention on a sense experience would be concentration. 
second skill would be clarity, what people describe as awareness, presence, being in the moment and so forth. So that we describe as your ability to track what you are experiencing, what you are paying attention to in real time. So now that you direct your attention to my hand, now, if you notice anything, now you're tracking in real time what it is that you are seeing. So you might be seeing that my hand is a certain size. You might be seeing that my hand is not moving, or you might be seeing that it is moving. You might be seeing the shape, size. It might be a pleasant visual experience or unpleasant. So any detail that you notice would be clarity. So clarity is your ability to track in real time what you are experiencing. And then the third skill, coolness, what people describe as um, equanimity, openness, um, allowing something would be your ability to be equally open to pleasant and unpleasant experiences without trying to suppress anything that is unpleasant and without trying to cling to things that are pleasant. So it's like a third option in between those two where you are trying to take a matter of fact stance, try to allow it, accept. Um, but now you don't have to react to what it is that you're feeling or thinking about or what somebody else is doing. Um, you might have sensations in the body, so that is an internal reaction, but you can act independently of how you're feeling. You can act independently of what's going through your mind. And so those are abilities you can develop. So these three skills with the athletes that we're working with, um, they are training and using those three skills simultaneously and intentionally. So there's a game plan, you know, there's an infinite amount of techniques that you can um, practice and everybody needs different techniques depending on, you know, what their challenges are, what they like to work on, what their sport is and so forth. And then you um, teach the athlete different techniques. Um, you teach them the basic fundamental principles of how techniques work, uh, what a technique consists of, which is always on the one side, uh, focus range. So what is, it, what is it that you need to pay attention to? Is it one thing? Is it two things? Is it 20 things? Um, and then an instruction set. So what do you do when you want to pay attention to this experience? Um, and once the athletes start to understand that intellectually, then uh, it's not so confusing anymore. It's not, there's not so much doubt and so many question marks in your mind what you need to do. And when that is clear, then they're really often running and they can practice the techniques in any given moment for any length of time, short periods of time, 30 second, 60 second, two minute micro hits, so to speak, we call them. Or you can do formal practice, 10 minute, 20 minute sessions um, during training or in isolation, whatever you know is best for you. Um, but all tailored to the specific situations that you are exposed to, to your, to your sport. So it's not something that over time, hopefully will kind of have a beneficial overlapping effect on your performance, but we're actually training the skills specific to the situation that you're in. So you learn to use your ability to pay attention to a certain sensation while you're running, because that sensation is 
um, kind of has a negative impact on your performance when you're running. You might be tightening up when you're running. And now you need to notice that. You need to learn to be cool with that. You need to learn to redirect your attention to what you need to do in order to run as fast as you can again. So Christian, what have, what have been some of the changes that you've noticed from, from like observing these athletes who you've implemented the different mindfulness techniques with? Like what, what do you actually see as far as with their performance? So um, you could summarize uh, the effects would generally be that um, any athlete has an optimal level of performance, right? So the optimal level of performance is whatever they have physically and strategically um, developed. Um, in order to access this optimal level that they have developed with however much training they have, you could be a novice, you could be an intermediate athlete, you could be a professional athlete. So your optimal level might be very different from one person to the next. But to, to access that um, consistently and um, for longer periods of time, you need those three skills, basically. It doesn't, uh, many athletes can for sure recall moments when they know exactly how well they can play or how strong they are, but now their mind is just not allowing them to um, run optimally. They know how fast they can run or they know how good they can play tennis or they know how um, well they can shoot the basketball, um, but they're not able to do it right now. And it's not because they don't understand what they need to do. And it's also not because they're not fit all of a sudden. It has to do a lot of times but not always exclusively, of course, um, with these three skills. They're not paying attention to what matters most in that moment. Um, they are in a fighting relationship with something. They are nervous and they don't want to be nervous. And now all of their attention is um, kind of um, really hijacked by this experience of being nervous and not wanting to be nervous. Or the crowd um, in the stadium is uh, upsetting them. It could be you know, infinite amount of different examples. So um, when these three skills start to improve, then one of the things that will happen is that the baseline of concentration and clarity and coolness will improve, which is the level of concentration that you have when you're not really trying to focus, when you're not, put, not putting an effort into it. Just like when you start to uh, work out, all of a sudden you're fitter, even though you're not actually working out, you're just going up the stairs and you're noticing it's more effortless. So it's the same with your attention. All of a sudden, you're able to listen to somebody longer without getting distracted. All of a sudden, you're able to pay attention to where the ball is flying without you know, getting caught up by what's going to happen if I lose the point, for, for, so to speak. Um, and the same thing with clarity. You're all of a sudden starting to notice more details. Um, with coolness, the same thing. You're able to deal better with adversities, right? whether those are internal or external. And on the one side, so the baseline is improving, which is very, very beneficial, makes things more effortless. You're therefore more often going to be able to get close or enter your optimal level of performance. On the other hand, you now also have a game plan. You know what to do, mentally speaking, to access your optimal level. You know what to do. Oh, I need to pay attention to this. Oh, I need to try to be cool with that. So now you can put an effort in. So you're implementing in the technique in that moment. And that will also optimize your performance actually in that moment. So there's, so to speak, a double um, benefit. 
what can you tell me as far as is there uh, overlap between these these kind of mindfulness techniques and, and flow states in sports? Yeah, I mean, again, like I said at the beginning, everything needs to be defined, right? Um, so flow is a word that, you know, is thrown around a lot. Um, there is a scientist, Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi, who has defined the flow state um, for him. And like, that's just, I think, a working definition that a lot of people use. But there's a lot of people that also just say flow and they mean maybe something different or they don't even know exactly what they mean. Um, and then there's... Uh, people that use the word flow and they mean something completely different, but they are very clear about what they mean. So flow in the sports world, a state of flow or entering the zone. A lot of times people call it. Um, I don't remember exactly how many uh, different characteristics um, Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi has mentioned um, that needs to be um hit in order to enter a flow state but i think it was something around seven maybe six maybe eight um and one of them was that you need to be decision making so if you're not making decisions you're already not in a flow state if you just if you just are so to speak right if you're walking and you don't need to be make decisions you cannot enter a flow state so to speak per that definition um, you need to be challenged uh, at a certain degree. It needs to be not too easy and not too difficult. Um, however, uh, also you need to be not in a fighting relationship with every anything that is experience that you're experiencing. So this is where the first overlap is, right? With these skills, which is kind of coolness. You're not fighting with whatever it is that you're experiencing. You're allowing everything to to be. Then of course you need to be noticing a lot of details in a flow state you're also you're so tuned in with what it is that you're experiencing that sometimes things seem like in slow motion which is exactly what clarity is or one aspect it's like you're noticing so much detail all of a sudden that it might feel like yeah time uh, passes slower or faster or you're noticing certain things um, with so much more clarity it's like under a microscope that is clarity so this is the second overlap and then concentration, of course, also part of the flow state, um, because you need to be paying attention for without getting distracted to what it is that you are doing. Otherwise, you're definitely not in a flow state. So there's definitely this overlap. So from that perspective, um, a flow state entails a heightened state of these three skills. So they are active. And like I said at the beginning, everybody has those skills. Um, if you enter a flow state, those skills kind of become elevated for a certain period of time. Um, and when you know how to practice these techniques and use these uh, techniques and skills, then it is more likely that you will enter flow states free more frequently and you will be able to stay in a flow state for longer also. So it's kind of sounds like what you're saying is kind of uh sort of you're, you're training your, your neurophysiology to you're kind of priming it to be more capable of these different attentional uh, states where it's going to, to lead into more of those, uh, those kind of zone for optimal performance, like uh, with the flow state. Yeah, exactly. And um, very important there is that you're training them in the specific situations where you want to enter the flow state. So it makes it even more likely um, because you're tailoring your practice, these mental skills, exactly for when and how and where you need to use them. 
Hi guys, it's Toby Passman, host of the Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro Podcast. I hope you guys are enjoying the show today so far. Today is a great day to start your own podcast. Whether you're looking for a new marketing channel, have a message you want to share with the world, or just think it would be fun to have your own talk show, podcasting is an easy, inexpensive, and fun way to expand your reach online. Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed in all the major podcast directories like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more within minutes of finishing your recording. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners and the team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. Let's create something great together. If you guys sign up, you'll receive a $20 Amazon gift card. Um, Just click the link in the show notes and uh, go ahead and sign up for that. All right, let's get back to the show. So Christian, going back to something that that you had mentioned as far as it being sort of rare when when you first started getting into coaching to see, you know, coaches implementing these different kind of mindfulness techniques or just, just paying attention to kind of the mind overall, how, how common is it at this point, you know, amongst kind of pro athletes to, to do, you know, these different kind of cognitive uh, training, uh, practicing mindfulness or meditation uh, or other kind of neurohacking technologies? Is it become pretty much mainstream amongst kind of pro sports or is it still what you're doing? Is it still kind of on the fringes? I think it depends on where in the world a little bit. Um, I think there's certain parts of the world where it's completely mainstream um, among pro athletes and um, amateur athletes, maybe even. And there's other parts in the world where it's totally still like in the early stages. It's just the way that it is perceived, right? Um, in, their, in that culture or um, how much information uh, people have been exposed to. Um, but overall, I would definitely say like, it has grown exponentially. I mean, we have seen a growth in mindfulness in general, uh, mental performance training of any kind. It's been, kind of been a long time coming. Um, and you can see, you know, athletes, everybody, whether it's Novak Djokovic, who won again now the French Open, or whether it's LeBron James, or back in the day, Michael Jordan. I mean, they have all been doing it. And um, athletes are noticing that a lot of times they're not limited by their physicality they're not losing because they're not strong enough or their stamina isn't good enough or because they don't understand the strategy of what they need to do they realizing they're not winning if they aren't because they're getting distracted because they get too nervous they get anxious they have anger issues or you know could be a trillion different other things and those things are um unaffected really uh, by how much you're training your body and how good you're eating. So um, I think athletes around the world are doing, you know, great. Everybody is developing, learning from one another. One athlete is doing something great and he's implementing a new uh, training method, so to speak. Um, And other people see it's working and then they also start to implement it, but maybe abbreviated version of it from a different coach and so, so forth. So that's all great. To my knowledge, I do not know of many uh, athletes and coaches yet, and I'm hoping to be part of that change, 
that are able to implement techniques and exercises into the actual training and competition. It's always like an add-on, not, not always, that's wrong. Like a lot of times it's an add-on. You do it separately. You do it before training, after you do it in the morning, you do it in a session with somebody you're talking. Um, and those sessions are important, of course, but really at the end, what matters is that you're doing it when you are competing and not just hopefully um, kind of wishing for the moment that, oh yeah, hopefully I will be calm now that I understand this or that and that my perspective has have changed which can happen um, and which is great but you know if you really have a game plan and tools in your toolbox um, and those don't need to be only mindfulness based those can be other tools that impact your physiology your autonomic nervous system you know breathing exercises that calm you down or activate uh, your autonomic nervous system and so forth so there's a lot of things athletes can do like really in the moment that has a impact right now so um that i think can still be greatly improved and will be um and i want to kind of just be part of helping other coaches and athletes develop that that there's even more room to improve awesome i was reading in your your bio that so you've coached multiple top 10 uh, tennis players in their careers and i i wanted to ask you as far as you know what what have you noticed as far as separating what separates these these elite level athletes kind of from the rest of the pack you know whether that be certain physical traits mental traits uh, mindset like what 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 have you noticed just working with with these elite athletes i mean um you we have to kind of uh, see does it what who do they differentiate themselves from is kind of the question. Do, how do pro athletes differentiate, uh, differentiate themselves from non-professional athletes? Or how do the number one, two, and three in the world differentiate themselves from the number 15, 16, 17 in the world? You know, so those would be kind of different uh, questions. So, I was more curious about the latter as far as the, okay. the, the top one, two, three, what, what separates yes. the, that from the, the rest of the pack? So... Um, Yes, you can still sometimes say there is a physiological aspect or a strategical aspect there where they have like a weapon physically. I mean, let's just look at Nadal. Let's say, I mean, there's very few people who have ever lived who have such a fast arm, right? Or LeBron James. He's like, not by me, no means the only person who is like as big and strong, but it just comes all together. He's very agile. He's very big. He's very strong. Um, and he can basically do anything, right? So he's not limited there. There's a certain benefit to that over other pro basketball players. Um, but there's other players that are kind of uh, have his statue or something similar. Um, and they have not been as successful um, as he is. So what's the difference there, right? It comes down in the end to the mind and all the implications the mind kind of has on your decision making how motivated are you how dedicated are you how are you dealing and long term with sacrifice how are you prioritizing how are you able to deal with challenges with pressure from the media from your family from the coaches um, with jealousy with money that all comes down to what's going through your mind and how does it impact you and does it change how you're motivated and so forth so with the athletes that i have been experiencing 
generally has been the case that they have either with a lot of work um, or also naturally had have had a higher baseline of these three skills that we are developing. Just like how somebody can be physically faster than another person, even though they put in the same amount of training. Um, some people have the ability to pay attention to something for longer than another person, even though they haven't trained it necessarily as much or dedicated. Some people have the ability to be less faced by challenges. If you look at Roger, if you look at Rafa, I mean, you don't see them go completely crazy on the court. That has a lot of impact on their performance over long periods of time. So, but that doesn't mean that they haven't been developing and working on those skills, but maybe not in the same framework, but nonetheless, they have been working on paying attention to what matters. They have been working on trying to be cool when things get challenging. They have been trying to work on really tracking details. So it's kind of noticeable when you see athletes that are really at the top. It's just every single time they practice, every single time they compete, you see these three skills active at the very peak. And with athletes that are maybe a little further back, but they're amazing, um, they're a little more up and down. If they're up, they're just as good as the number one but they're just not up very, as long and as often. And then they lose it and they get upset or, um, and then they are a little less motivated and they just go out the night before and do something that is not beneficial because they have so, such a strong desire to do something. So that is kind of where I have um, seen the difference between the very top, especially the very top that is at the top for a long time, not just, you know, won a great tournament, and just not to minimize that, I mean, that's a huge accomplishment, but nonetheless, it's a different accomplishment if you have won one uh, world championships um, in one year and then never again, or you have been doing that for 15 years straight. Right. That's, yeah, that's definitely when you look at like an athlete like Tom Brady, someone, you know, mm -hmm. who just year in, year out is at like the very top of his game. Yeah. And you see like just, tons of athletes just you know they have their moment of you know their their year that they win the mvp or you know like win a tournament but then kind of drop back into you know uh, i don't want to say average but uh but yeah there's just you know the the certain athletes that are able to sustain that incredibly high level performance year in year out is just it's it's fascinating to me to to just see that you know what goes into play there. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So what can you tell me about, um, so your, your, your company mind size sports. So you're basically utilizing the, uh, some of the different techniques and trainings that we've been discussing, um, to work with, with athletes, uh, as part of like a training regimen. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, exactly. So I personally, I've been working with athletes, you know, over the past two decades, one-on-one uh, -on -one mostly. But I, my goal was to reach as many people in the world as possible. And just through one-on-one -on -one coaching, you're limited. So you need to kind of develop some kind of uh, mechanism where you're able to reach more than one person. And in my case, I was also trying to do that not live, but just like that people can do it at their own time. So the online world, obviously, nowadays um, was a great um kind of option for that um so i created a program on for mind size sports 
um, that takes eight weeks where an athlete on any level, so it's not just pro athletes, um, pro athletes are doing it, um, college athletes are doing it, amateur athletes are doing it, that are just like playing tennis for fun or like runners and they go out once a week running or do yoga. Um, and they're being taken um, through an eight week program um, that you also cannot speed up because it's very practice oriented, but we are um, combining the educational intellectual aspect where you learn to understand what it is that you're doing, you learn to understand why it is that you're doing it, and you learn to understand how you need to do it. And once you understand these things, so there's a learning aspect and you listen and you actually do a little test. There's no tests because you can fail. It's just tests so you are able to retain information more easily. Um, and then you are prompted to practice. So there's guided practices, um, but really only you're um, learning to understand how the techniques work. So you can do those techniques yourself. You don't have to listen to a guided practice anymore, which is of course the end goal. Um, and through the eight weeks, the athletes will learn different techniques, different strategies and tools that they can implement in different moments, whether it's training, whether it's competition, uh, whether it's restful uh, days, days off, which is just as relevant as the hard work. Um, and at the end of eight weeks, they're ready to go and they can really practice this whenever they want, um, as much as they want, and they can take advantage of that and then really take it off. So they have um, a fantastic foundation set for themselves to then continue to work with a coach, um, which of course is helpful because it's, it never, never stops. Um, and it's quite complex to really work through all of the different things that the mind cannot come up with and all the emotional challenges that we have in different situations. Um, but you are set after eight weeks to go out um, and actually before you, uh, the eight weeks are over because you learn different techniques each week. But after eight weeks, you have multiple techniques you can use in all kinds of different situations when you're training um, where you can learn and practice to optimize your performance and you will witness it in real time. And everybody that we have been working with and that took the course, they're like, amazing. Like so many insights that they're having, like I had this skill, but I didn't realize I had it. So if you have a skill that you don't know that you have, you don't know how to take advantage of it, right? It's kind of a um, unfortunate situation for many people that they're in. So the, as far as with, with eight weeks, is that kind of a, a special or a, a, that, that time frame? Is that, uh, was that specified uh, intentionally in order like to, like, are these skills, does it need time to kind of like, uh, to continue getting the repetitions in practice or to, to just change on kind of a neurophysiological level or like what, why did you kind of stick with the, the eight weeks for the training time? Yeah, there's multiple reasons. Um, for sure. One as studies have shown that like in order to establish a routine, uh, 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 in order to establish a habit, you need to implement a routine and that needs to take at least eight weeks in order for it to turn into a habit. So we have this uh, kind of aspect that we integrated, why it is eight weeks, but it's not the only one. The other aspect is um, the information could be condensed. It's the same amount of information, but you are have access to it earlier, which we don't give you. We give you access uh, a certain amount of access to information each week um, because 
we want to emphasize the practice part. So you learn a little bit, but then you need to practice for a week to get comfortable with the techniques, to get the repetition and to start making mistakes. So you know what you need to adapt and change. Um, and because there's multiple techniques and strategies that you learn over this eight, over these eight weeks, um, we wanted to not shorten it for that reason also. Um, and yeah, I would say those are the two main reasons because it's just a good amount of information that you're getting uh, and a lot of practice. So if that's just like being dumped at you, um, I don't feel like that would be beneficial to most people. Some people that have experience that could work for sure. Um, but I think generally, if you're starting off, um, start with small manageable pieces. Um, you do something that you can handle. You don't go all out and start practicing five hours a day and then you totally burn out and feel you can't implement it. Um, so that's really the third aspect. We want to start you small. Um, you learn the first technique, you practice it a couple of minutes a day um, for the entire week. You add the second technique, the second strategy and so forth. And then by the end of the eight weeks, you have this whole set of techniques and strategies available to you that now you can really work with. Awesome. Christian, do you pay uh, attention to any of kind of like the, the wearable tech or like different neurotechnologies? Like there's, there's, a, there's a specific company, I'm forgetting their name, but uh, they basically make uh, a direct current stimulation device um, that targets the motor cortex and is supposed to kind of excel um, uh, people's learning curve as far as like, uh, skill, like motor skill acquisition. And I just wanted to kind of hear your, your take on uh, kind of wearables and, and neurotech as a whole when it comes to kind of training elite athletes. I mean, I'm definitely a tech guy for sure. Um, you know, I got an Apple Watch and a Whoop and uh, been wearing this device from Levels that monitors your blood glucose levels. So I'm a, um, I enjoy getting objective data sets that I can, um, in combination with um, really the analysis of it, um, so I can um, implement different behavioral patterns. So it can I can optimize my behavior, so to speak, see what behavioral patterns have a negative impact on me and vice versa. And then I can kind of fine tune my behavior, which I've been doing for a long time. So I think there's a big benefit in that. When it comes to um, kind of neurotech, um, the things that I have seen out there have, but I also, I'm not a neuroscientist. I have not gone into all of the details, but um, on our team on MindSize, we have uh, two neuroscientists and Shinzen, my, um, one of my mentors also who developed the unified mindfulness system. They actually have a um, neuroscience lab at the University of Arizona called the SEMA lab. Um, you might want to look that up where they're actually doing uh, also neuromodulation with low frequency ultrasound um, and that's a very interesting uh, kind of endeavor they're on um, where they are working with individuals who are developing and training these three C's in combination with low frequency ultrasound neuromodulation to increase the speed at which these skills improve. Um, I hope I didn't butcher that, uh, Jay, if you're listening, sorry. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's very exciting. And I am always uh, you know, up to date on what they're doing and I'm super curious. And 
I haven't done it yet. Um, they're in early stages also there, but like I want to do it. And I have friends who have done it with them. So, but you know, it's experimental uh, at the moment. So we'll have to see. Right on. Well, Christian, what, uh, when it comes to kind of looking, looking ahead as far as with, with, uh, you know, coaching, continuing to work with athletes, like where, where do you see kind of the, the next frontiers of, of this all going? I mean, as far as like, do you plan on continuing to, to work with these different mindfulness techniques, um, and brain training, or, uh, do you see, do you see other, uh, kind of technologies or, uh, different, um, I guess, ways of training coming onto the horizon? Yeah, I mean, uh, different ways of training are coming onto the horizon currently. Um, and it's continuing to uh, continuing in a way that is really inspirational. I mean, there's people that are really at the very core, all they want to do is do something good for other people, whether it's athletes or people that are not very athletic, and they just still want to help them with different techniques and tech devices and a combination of those. And I think, um, actually, VR is going to come in very big at one point. I mean, VR is already big, uh, I would, from my perspective, at least. Um, but it's really in its infant stages when it comes to like training the mind. But I think that's where a lot of potential is still uh, kind of untapped. Um, when you can combine um, scenarios where you can train certain mental skills uh, with certain techniques and now you can mimic a situation that you're in in vr and now you train these situations the techniques in that situation i mean you're opening up a whole other dimension basically of mental training so i'm looking forward to that i've been looking into that a little bit talking talk to one company but they were not kind of far enough developed in order to be able to do what i had in mind so um let's see i think uh, there's very a lot of interesting things uh, going to be uh, coming out in the next years and decades. Awesome. Well, Christian, if, uh, if people want to find out more about your work or connect with you, where would you direct them to? Yes. Um, you can find us on mindsizesports.com on the website, a lot of information on there. Also, um, it's a program that we have put a lot of time and effort in and is really helpful. If that is something that connects with you, check it out. Um, if you can't afford it, um, then also my goal is to make this available to everybody in the world. So if you don't have the financial means to pay for the program, then please write us an email. We're more than happy to help you out um, and give it to you. And you can also check us out on Instagram, Mindsize Sports, same thing, or my own, you know, my Instagram, straka.la. Um, yeah, and then you can get all the information that you want great and for the listeners who enjoyed the show today go ahead and like and subscribe to our youtube channel where roscoe's wetsuit you can also find audio versions of the podcast available on spotify apple podcasts stitcher and just about anywhere else that audio podcasts are available also if you guys enjoyed the show it would be really helpful if you would leave us a five-star review on apple podcasts that would be greatly appreciated uh, Christian, I wanted to really thank you for coming on the show today and sharing all of your knowledge and expertise. I really enjoyed uh, talking with you. Likewise. Thank you very much.